The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with unfettered feelings of nostalgia. Proceed at your own risk. Here it is, folks. Toast the bread and soak your head. It's time for Event or Else, the podcast where I go through most every major Marvel and DC event, one issue at a time, so you don't have to. I'm your host, my name is Steven, and we're back once again to talk about Marvel Superheroes Secret Wars. This week, we're looking at issue number two, and it's entitled Prisoners of War. This issue was published by Marvel Comics in June of 1984, and it was written by Jim Shooter, with pencils by Mike Zeck, inks by John Beatty, letters by Joe Rosen, and colors by Christy Scheel. When last we left our heroes, they were under attack by the full force of villains, minus Doctor Doom and Galactus. Captain America, because he's the freaking man, wastes no time in rallying the troops as they take refuge atop this crazy-looking alien rock formation. Avengers assemble! Form a wedge! I'll take the point! He's too late, however, as Bulldozer and Piledriver, operating some kind of walking three-legged tank, blow up their rocky perch, scattering the heroes hither and yon. Captain America's not down for long, however, because again, he's the freaking man, and he calls to the Hulk. We need time to regroup. Buy us two seconds. The Hulk, in the meantime, is being slammed in the chest by one of the tank's blasters. Amazing. High-energy electron beams. They hit like Thor's hammer. That's enough to batter any of us senseless. Except me, of course. Colossus is down, but Lockheed the Dragon keeps watch over him, breathing fire to keep their enemies at bay. Cap can see that the villain's attack is disjointed, undisciplined, and calls out the order to attack and take out their guns. The Hulk tries to lob a massive alien boulder at the villains, only to have it blasted out of his hands. Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, forms himself into a human plastic shield to keep the shrapnel from pelting Professor X, Rogue, and Hawkeye, who are all three down for the count. The villains push forward, and we see that Nightcrawler and Storm have joined the ranks of the Fallen. Kang, leading this collection of evildoers, laments the loss of Doctor Doom, who would have come in handy in the fight. How unfortunate that I had to slay him, he says aloud, reminding the reader of Doom's supposed fate from the previous issue. But we know better, don't we? Doom survived, and at this very moment, he flies alone across the alien landscape of Battleworld, reminiscing about many of the more important story points from issue number one. Eventually, he finds his prize, Galactus, still sound asleep where the Beyonder had dropped him. Then suddenly, in one of those cases of perfect timing that only seem to happen in works of fiction, Galactus wakes, and being somebody who doesn't lumber to their feet like I do when I trip over my own shoes, he levitates gently into a standing position and sets off across Battleworld. Doom tries to get his attention, but Galactus is having none of it, ignoring him like nothing more than the buzzing of a gnat. And so, with little else to do, Doom makes his way back to the Citadel, where the villains hang their hats. He's met by security drones, but takes them out without breaking a sweat before blasting the master defense control. He makes his way deeper into the Citadel to discover the inert body of the mad robot Ultron, who, Doom reminds us, was neutralized by Galactus in the previous issue. Gazing down upon the robot's adamantium body, Doom begins to scheme. In fact, 
If Doom had a thin, curly mustache attached to his mask, he'd definitely be twisting it right about now. Back at the battle, things begin to turn around for our heroes. Thor takes out Kang, the Wrecker, Thunderball, and the Lizard with one blow of his mighty hammer as the Hulk and Cyclops work together to take out the three-legged tank. She-Hulk goes toe-to-toe with the Enchantress, knocking the evil goddess out cold with one punch as Dr. Octopus, the Absorbing Man, the Wrecker, and Molecule Man flee, leaving the Enchantress, Thunderball, Piledriver, Bulldozer, and Kang behind to be taken prisoner by the heroes. With the battle won, Cap lets him go, feeling that now might not be the best time to divide their forces. Instead, he sends Storm off to search the surrounding area for a defensible shelter. Storm acquiesces, and as she flies off, she's thinking to herself that the air is thick on Battleworld. Thick, yet easy to manipulate, as if the Beyonder deliberately sought to provide ideal fighting conditions. Soon, Storm leads the heroes with their prisoners in tow to their new home, a fortress that Iron Man describes as being bigger than the Pentagon. Bigger than 54 and a half Pentagons, I'd estimate, the Hulk corrects him. It's then, as the heroes enter their mammoth abode, that Colossus realizes that he hasn't seen Lockheed since the battle. He's pretty worried about the dragon. After all, Lockheed belongs to his one true love, Kitty Pride, and he knows it's going to break her heart if they return to Earth without him. Wolverine, ever the supportive friend, tosses back, What makes you think you're ever getting back, kid? Forget the dragon. Not cool, Wolverine. Not cool. Sometime later, Reed reports to Captain America that he's got all the prisoners in the fortress detention area, which, he explains, is very humane. It's basically a form of psychostasis that works by controlling aggression through brainwave manipulation. He also explains that he found a healing device, a cell regenerator, in which he's placed the Enchantress. Sure, she's an Asgardian goddess and all that, but she took quite the fresh one from She-Hulk, and Reed worries about a possible concussion. Cap's more than a little satisfied over the report, and then calls everybody together for a quick meeting. Because after all, there's two things Cap loves more than anything— Punching Nazis and giving speeches, and currently there ain't no Nazis around. And so, with all the heroes present, Cap ignores Wolverine's insistence that they go out there and finish the villains off once and for all, and explains that they have the advantage now, and they shouldn't waste it by searching a planet for the remaining group of bad guys. Instead, he sends Iron Man, the Human Torch, and Thor to go out and fly about the perimeter, ensuring that they have a secure area within a 100-mile radius. You're nuts, Flagman, Wolverine says, appearing in his first scene without claws. Elsewhere, in a fortress that looks a bit like a tuning fork, Magneto broods, gazing out at the thick pink spaghetti that makes up much of the ground surrounding the Master of Magnetism's new crib. But enough about him. Let's instead join Dr. Octopus, the Wrecker, the Absorbing Man, and the Molecule Man as they make their way back to their citadel, tails tucked between their legs. There at the front door, waiting for them with his arms crossed before his metal chest like an armored father waiting for his out-too-late teenage daughter, is Dr. Doom. The others are none too happy to see him, and they're fixing to tear him a new one when they're suddenly interrupted by fiery death raining down from above. Ultron, newly reactivated and reprogrammed to follow only Doom, stands sentry above them. Ah, who gives a hoot? says the absorbing man. I need meal and sleep. You want to be in charge, Doom? Okay by me. 
Once inside, Doom turns his attention to Owen Reese, the Molecule Man, hoping against hope that Owen was not inconvenienced by Ultron's violent greeting. Well, being absolute master of molecules, I can just assimilate molecules when I want, so I never have to be hungry, and I can just shoo away dirt molecules so I'm always nice and clean. But I am tired. I have prepared a special chamber for you. I hope you like it. If not, I can always reconstruct the molecules. The absorbing man asks the Wrecker why Doom appears to be playing up to the little jerk, and the Wrecker whispers to him to keep it down as the Molecule Man is probably the most powerful of all of them. What, with being able to control molecules and all that? I mean, that ain't no little thing. As the other villains head off to eat, Doc Ock stays behind to grill Doom about his plans and ask about what happened to Galactus. Galactus, Doom shows him on a massive screen, is chilling atop a mountain, doing absolutely nothing at all. As far as his plans, well, Doom ain't saying. Later, as night sets in, a mysterious figure floating gently on lines of magnetic force creeps into the hero's fortress, or hero base, as I'm going to call it from here on out. It is, of course, Magneto, and as he stalks the lonely corridors elsewhere in hero base, She-Hulk and the Wasp share a moment over a mutual fear of the unknown. And as Magneto finds his way into the hero base power station, Reed Richards and Cyclops share a moment over a mutual yearning for absent wives. As they're talking, Ben Grimm, also known as The Thing, finds himself eavesdropping while out for a walk. He refers to Cyclops in his head as that skinny kid from the X-Men, which makes absolutely no sense. Cyclops is by no means in this book a skinny kid. He's a broad-shouldered, muscly dude, just like the rest of them. Well, those that are dudes. Meanwhile, back at the power station, Magneto manipulates the flux of the fusion generator in order to create an impending catastrophe that will then cause a distraction so that Maggie, yeah, they sometimes call him Maggie, can attain his ultimate goal. Elsewhere, Spider-Man and the Human Torch are hanging out when Spidey's spider sense goes off, warning him of danger. His spider sense is so acute that he can tell that the danger is coming from the direction of the power station, and so he swings off to investigate while the torch heads out to get help. The heroes arrive to find that Magneto has made quick work of Spider-Man. Maggie then drops a bunch of giant machines on everybody and then bolts. The Thing, being all super strong and made out of rock, fights his way free, followed by the Wasp, who's too small to be trapped by such big machines. She brags about this fact aloud, and so Maggie seals her up in a ball made of scrap metal and takes her along with him. Could she have been his ultimate goal? The Thing is in hot pursuit, but before he can go much further, he suddenly changes back into his human form, which, of course, freaks him out. I mean, he's wanted nothing more than to be his old pre-Cosmic Ray's radiated self, but fat lot of good being a normal dude is going to help him against Magneto. But Magneto escapes, and Captain Marvel points out that the X-Men didn't even show up to help. Captain America doesn't want to think about that right now. He doesn't even want to go after Maggie and their abducted teammate. Instead, he takes everyone back to the command center to show them two massive view screens. One of the view screens shows rain and lightning. The other shows Galactus standing around doing nothing but glowing on a mountaintop. All in all, it's a rather poor cliffhanger compared to the thing losing his powers and changing back into a regular dude. And with our story now told, it's time for the top three things to dwell on. 
The top three things to dwell on are three moments in the book that I feel need to be given just a bit more thought. They might be funny moments. They might be stupid moments. They could even be moments of serious drama that make me feel a little something in my heart. Regardless, they are moments I think are worth the time to revisit. Thing to dwell on number three, Wolverine is so macho. So this is a rather simple moment where on the opening splash page of the issue, when Reed calls out, we're under attack, Wolverine responds with a simple, good. Now, first off, I love that Wolverine is looking forward to the fight, but ultimately, this, along with the other two moments, only help to illustrate the complete one-note characters everyone in this book are. And really, they need to be to tell this type of story. More on that as we continue. Thing to dwell on number two, She-Hulk goes Valley Girl. So this is during the first battle, and She-Hulk is taking on the Enchantress. And once she realizes that she doesn't need to hold back against her, she punches her incredibly hard in the chin as she's saying, oh, wow, that was like tubular, you know, to the max. Now, She-Hulk is not a valley girl. I'm assuming she's just making fun of the fact that Enchantress has long blonde hair and looks like the type of valley girl you would see hanging out on the beaches in Malibu. It's just one of those character traits of She-Hulk where she likes to fight and she likes to crack wise while doing it. And I found it very funny. Thing to dwell on number one, Spider-Man finds the fun in everything. So after Spider-Man goes off toward the power station to find out what set his spidey sense off, Human Torch sets out to get help. Well, when the help arrive, we see Spider-Man bouncing through the panel wrapped up in a steel ball made of scrap metal. It doesn't completely surround him. We can see his head and his legs and his arms sticking out. But as he's bouncing by, he's saying, woohoo, guys, it's Magneto, which in this life-threatening situation, he's treating it like he's on a roller coaster. He like, like he's in some kind of carnival ride. He's just having a ball. And it's just one of those things about Spider-Man that does ring true to form. And like the other two examples, it's the one big character trait that most folks who know Spider-Man know that about him. He doesn't take a lot of things seriously. And I feel that these three moments just prove that what Jim Shooter is doing here in this book is he doesn't have a lot of time in this series to develop any character arcs. This book is not about making the characters grow and learn lessons and become something better than they were when this story started. So in many cases, he's just latching on to that one characteristic that everybody kind of knows about each character, and he's just sticking to it. He's just writing that character trait to the end. Wolverine is kind of a jerk, and he wants to fight, and he's a scrapper. She-Hulk also likes to fight, but she also likes to crack a little wise while she's doing it. She enjoys roughing people up. It's something that she seems to have a lot of fun with. Spider-Man just doesn't take a lot of stuff seriously and therefore has no problem enjoying being thrown across the room while encased in a big steel scrap metal ball. And those were the top three things to dwell on. Which means that now we come to that time in the show where I just wrap it all up and tell you how I feel about the book in general. 
again, like the first issue, this was fun. There's not a lot of depth to this tale. This is a summer movie, big budget extravaganza that somebody like a Michael Bay might direct and that Will Smith might star in. That's really all there is to it when it comes to this story. I mean, really, when you think about it, the whole purpose of this crossover, the whole purpose of this event was to sell toys. A toy manufacturer created action figures of the Marvel superheroes and the Marvel villains, and Marvel needed to tell a story to help sell those action figures. And that's all that Secret Wars is. And so far, they're hitting every nail right on the head, and I'm enjoying the crap out of it. And that's really all I have to say. So join us back here next time when we attempt to answer the question, why might the Wasp want to make out with Magneto? That's coming at you next week in episode number three, Tempest Without, Crisis Within. Be there or find yourself floating home. Wait, that's that's not quite right. Event or Else is a presentation of the Just Another Fanboy podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to eventorelse at gmail.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen R. Orr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show where I talk about all the nerd-type things I don't have time to talk about on all my other podcast episodes. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share the podcast with a friend. Right, I love new clothes. I'll see you later.